Well, this is our uh, 14th study in the book of Daniel. Uh, We have been in chapter 7 for the last three weeks. It's a rich and fascinating chapter. We're going to be in chapter 7 for one more study today. Uh, But I would like to begin this morning with a brief reading from 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. And then we'll continue to examine one more interesting issue from Daniel chapter 7. So just a brief reading today, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians and chapter 1. The entire book of 2 Thessalonians deals with all sorts of prophetic issues. And there's just some really wonderful, wonderful things here that the Apostle Paul uh, says and shares with this Thessalonian church. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. I'm going to begin to read in verse 3. I'm going to read up to verse 10. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you also suffer." Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you, and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power when He comes in that day to be glorified in His saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. What a glorious and wonderful chapter or or just a reading there that the Apostle Paul gives them. That the Apostle Paul was reminding the Thessalonians, that even though they were apparently enduring persecution and affliction and suffering, that God was a righteous judge, and that he would bring tribulation on those who were persecuting them. And remember, Paul says, we are standing up for the kingdom of God, and we who have trusted Christ, he says, will one day have a part in his coming kingdom. He's going to judge with fiery judgment those who have rejected Him. And we who have believed, He says, will be blessed in the coming kingdom of the Lord Jesus. And I just believe this is a great passage for us to reread occasionally as the next few years unfold, because I believe the challenging days are ahead for we who are following Jesus. So when tribulation comes, He says, God is not going to be unrighteous. He is in righteousness. He will eventually uh, repay those who are are persecuting, doing the persecuting. And he said he's going to come one day in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not obey the gospel and who who do not know God. But, he says, he's going to be one day glorified in his saints and admired among all those who believe, which is going to be us. Just a wonderful reminder for us as we look at challenging days and difficulties along the way. Then to Daniel chapter 7, if you would. Over the last 50 years or so, one of the most popular indoor sports of Bible students is to try to figure out who the Antichrist is. 
from the time I was a kid listening to people preach about the second coming of Christ and reading various articles and listening to discussions around a table, there have been many interesting angles expressed, uh, many names proposed as to who the Antichrist may be. Uh, the other issue that many folks are often preoccupied with is the meaning of 666. That number is connected with the Antichrist in Revelation 13. So this has led to a lot of speculation and theorizing and playing games with numbers to try to figure it all out. Now I am a 100% supporter, as you know, of reading and studying and, and studying and meditating on the Scripture, but I also believe that it's pointless to try to figure out something that the Bible doesn't explain. Uh, there's actually a good bit of information in the scripture regarding the Antichrist and a few things we can understand about the number 666, but we shouldn't occupy ourselves trying to figure out things that the Lord has not revealed. And that said, we do want to see this last issue in Daniel 7 that we have mentioned in past weeks, but have not really developed. And that is that we may not know who the Antichrist is, and I'm not sure we will ever know who the Antichrist is. If you actually believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, uh, you're probably never going to know who the Antichrist is, because we may very well be gone before he is revealed. I believe in the pre-tribulation rapture, so I don't expect to ever know who the Antichrist is while I'm living on this earth. Uh, unless, uh, the, unless the rapture is very, very close to the one world government, uh, in fact, we may be on, we're on course for that right now. And, uh, and, and the Antichrist may be revealed, who knows when, at least before the beginning of the tribulation, but, but, uh, but we may not never know who he is. But we can certainly know what he is, which we're gonna see today. You remember as we've looked these last three weeks, we've looked in Daniel 7, we've seen, first of all, we saw the crowning of the king. The Son of Man, Jesus Christ, we saw is going to receive an everlasting kingdom from God the Father, the Ancient of Days. And all who are his saints, all who have been made holy by faith in Jesus Christ, they will possess the kingdom with him forever and ever. Then we examined a description of the future kingdom of Christ. There were four descriptive words we saw in verse 14. Authority and honor and worldwide and everlasting. That is how the kingdom of God is described. The kingdom of Christ is, is described. Christ will have absolute authority. He will be honored for who he is and what he does as he rules this world. His reign as king will be worldwide. It will last forever. The kingdoms of man will be permanently over, as we saw the wonderful passage there in Revelation 11. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Then last week, we looked at the timing of the kingdom. When will it come? Well, it's going to come after the four empires of man have run their course. We are near the end of that fourth empire. And in the final stage of the fourth empire, we can expect to see, we saw from our study last Sunday, we can expect to see a global government whose authority is divided into ten regions of the world. This is the form of world government from which the Antichrist is going to arise. The globalists, as we often call them, the one world government guys, they have openly said, this is a quote from their writings, there is no other viable alternative to the future survival of mankind than a new global community under a single form of government. That's what they're working toward, that's what they're planning, it's, it's in the books, globalism is on the march, 
No one knows the exact timing of all this, but you should watch for it. Be alert to what's happening in our country and all around the world, because this is coming. The plan is in place. Globalism is being developed. And according to the prophecies of Daniel and the Apostle John, it is a terrible beast. It is imperialistic. It is authoritarian. It is dominating. It is, it is ruthless. But praise God, we know the end of the story because we know that the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He will reign forever and ever. So what about the Antichrist? What, what do we know from the Scripture? You know, the Apostle John wrote to way back, in, of course, in the first century, 1 John 2.18, he said, Little children, you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. And as I read that, I thought, well, where had they heard that? John had not yet written the book of Revelation. How did they know the Antichrist was coming? Well, they knew the Antichrist was coming because somebody had apparently been teaching them the book of Daniel. The Apostle Paul, in his second letter to the Thessalonians that we just read from a, a couple minutes ago, he spent a very good part of chapter 2 telling the Thessalonians about the Antichrist. And he writes to them, Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? So several decades before John wrote Revelation, the apostles were teaching about the Antichrist. And what they were saying sounds like it's right out of the book of Daniel. So let's look at a few verses in Daniel 7. Let's see how the Antichrist is described. We're going to read verse 7 and 8. And then we're going to read verses 19 to 25. And our focus this morning will be, what will the Antichrist be like? Verses 7 and 8 of Daniel 7. After this, Daniel says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one, coming up among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking pompous words. Then down in verse 19. Daniel says to one of the angels standing next to him, Then I wished to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful with its teeth of iron and nails of bronze, which devoured broken pieces and trampled the residue with its feet, and the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn that came up before which three fell, namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth which spoke pompous words, whose appearance was greater than his fellows. I was watching, and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them until the Ancient of Days came and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High, and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. Then he said, this angel who's speaking to Daniel, A fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which shall be different from all the other kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, trample it, and break it in pieces, the ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom, and another shall rise after them. He shall be different from the first ones and shall subdue three kings. 
He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints were given into his hand for a time and times and half a time, but the court was seated, they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it forever. Let me give you, based on this passage, just a few characteristics of what the Antichrist is going to be like. The first thing is this. He will be a political mastermind. He'll be a political genius. He is going to arise from among the ten political leaders of the world. He's going to push out three of them as he rises to dominance. How he does that exactly is not explained, but the phrase plucked out by the roots explains it somewhat. Uh, Students of Hebrew and Aramaic tell us that the phrase implies that the little horn is going to grow up and push out three other political leaders of this ten-region global government, and they are going to look like they were plucked out by the roots. He's just going to come up, kind of push them out from underneath and shove them out of the way. They are going to be politically destroyed. You know, the book of Revelation in chapter 6 pictures uh, a world conqueror. Many uh, think that it is the Antichrist who's being described. He's riding a white horse and he's carrying a bow, but he has no arrows. Kind of an interesting picture. Uh, he, uh, he has this, uh, this gallant-looking white horse and his bow in his hand, but no arrows. So apparently, when he conquers, when he pushes out these other kings, these other three horns in, in, in Daniel's vision, he is conquering without a war. His threats and his presence are enough to make people submit. That's why Daniel says he looks greater than those who are around him, he said in verse 20. He said he's, whose, whose appearance was greater than his fellows. There, he has some sort of an authoritative attractiveness that is impressive, that is commanding. And the angel explaining the vision to Daniel says the little horn will be different from the other ones. There will be some kind of distinctiveness about him that's going to make people sit up and take notice. The Antichrist, according to chapter 9 in Daniel, which we'll be to in a number of weeks ahead, he's going to be able to negotiate peace in the Middle East. All of this trouble we see today with Middle Eastern terrorists and the Israeli-Palestinian conflicts, he's going to be able to solve all of that. He's going to make some sort of peace treaty regarding Jerusalem. He'll be, he'll be a political genius and, and an unbelievable diplomat who can negotiate deals for peace among people who've been hating each other for centuries. Amazing. He'll be a political mastermind. He'll be a political genius. Then it says in verse 8, he has eyes like the eyes of a man. Verse 20, it says again, he had eyes. Now, none of the other horns are described this way although they are said to be kings. So I believe the eyes refer to unique insight, something special that the other political leaders do not have. So he's not only a political genius, he's an intellectual genius. He's going to have an incredible IQ. He will be clever. He'll be knowledgeable. He'll be able to give advice. He'll be able to solve problems. The world is filled with problems, as we well know, financial problems and economic problems and now the famous supply chain problems and psychological problems and drug abuse problems and domestic abuse problems and on and on and on we could go. Imagine a man who arrives on the scene who can solve all the problems of the world. He has insight to see what to do. 
Third, he's going to be a public speaking genius. Not only will he be politically powerful and persuasive, not only will he have an incredible mind with perhaps an unbelievable IQ, but he is going to be able to express things in marvelous ways. In verse 8 it says, he has a mouth speaking pompous things. Verse 20 says the same thing. He has a mouth that spoke pompous words. And of course, some of them, according to verse 25, are pompous words against the Most High God. But he is going to have some kind of, a, of, of an amazing public speaking ability. You know, in Revelation 13:5, when the Apostle John talks about the Antichrist, he says the same thing that he has a mouth speaking impressive things. He's going to be able to sway the masses. He'll have amazing crowd charisma. He'll be able to move a crowd with his speeches. He'll have no trouble deceiving the world because the world is going to be awed by his public speaking ability. And then fourth, he's going to be a religious genius. He's going to be diabolical. He's going to be evil, but he will be a religious genius. The Aramaic word translated against, there in verse 25, he will speak pompous words against the Most High. That word against pictures someone standing beside or standing next to someone else and accusing them. The word picture there is like a political debate where two political candidates are standing next to each other, demanding that they be treated as equals and, and accusing each other of this and that. So what Daniel is picturing is that the Antichrist is going to stand up, he's going to be claiming that he's equal with God, he's going to be accusing God, he's going to be demanding to be treated like God, and the Antichrist will be so powerful and so persuasive and so intelligent and so smooth that he will pretend to be Christ and he is going to fool almost everybody into thinking that he is. He's going to demand worship and total allegiance to his cause. He's going to accuse God and claim equality with God. And, in, and in, in his counterfeiting of the true faith of Christ, and in his manipulation of his false religious system, verse 25 says that he's going to have three points of attack against God. And I want to kind of develop those with you as we look at these three phrases. Let's look at verse 25. He will speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, shall intend to change times and law, then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time. So the Antichrist will have a three-point attack against God. His first point is this, he is going to persecute the saints. Remember from past weeks we said that this word literally means to wear out or wear down meaning he's going to oppress and harass and terrorize the true followers of Jesus to the point of their exhaustion. This, this pressure that he is going to place on the tribulation saints, those who come to Christ during the tribulation, will be unrelenting. Revelation 7 records the Apostle John seeing this great multitude that no one could number of all nations and tribes and languages and they're clothed in white robes and they're singing around the throne of God and, and those, those people there in Revelation 7 are identified as those who have come out of the great tribulation and have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. 
And in that great passage in Revelation 7, it says, They will never hunger or thirst anymore, John says, or be scorched by the sun. They will enjoy the blessings of heaven and the presence of God. So the Antichrist will apparently be responsible for the deaths of massive numbers of people who come to Christ during the tribulation. Because when John sees this group, he said it is a multitude that no man can number. He doesn't look and say, it looks like a couple thousand of them. No, he said, it is a multitude that no man can number. And they said, these are those who have come out of the great tribulation. So the Antichrist, as I say, will apparently be responsible for the deaths of massive numbers of people who come to Christ during that seven-year tribulation. He will wear out or wear down the saints of the Most High. Then his second point of attack, he says he will intend to change times. The word times, as we've seen, indicates set times, specific times. And the word implies religious celebrations, set times on the calendar. The Antichrist is going to do something, we don't know exactly what, but he's going to do something to adjust the calendar and end certain celebrations. Of course, our current calendar that most of the world uses, as you may know, is called the Gregorian calendar. It's been the standard international calendar for about 450 years. It was very strongly influenced by Christianity with Christmas and Easter and Palm Sunday. And nations all over the world, even secular nations, even people who have really no regard for God, they, they often still, still celebrate Christmas and Easter and Palm Sunday. And the, and the entire counting of years was for centuries. It was listed as B.C. before Christ, or A.D., which is a Latin word, Anno Domini, means in the year of our Lord. And, in, of course, in our modern days, the secular world has already adjusted that to B.C.E., before the common era, and C.E., the common era, to eliminate references to Jesus Christ. But the Antichrist is going to do something to overhaul the world's entire counting of time. Some have even suggested that he may try to change the seven-day week, which is based on the book of Genesis, of course. You work six, you rest one. It's the Sabbath principle. The, the, the seven-day week is, is pretty much worldwide, even in nations that have no Christian influence. This goes all the way back to the dividing of nations in Genesis 11. They took with them throughout the world the concept of, of the seven-day week, which is, is the, the, uh, the basis for the standard international calendar. So whatever the Antichrist does, he will be bent on destroying every detail of the counting of time that has any basis in God's Word or any reference to Jesus Christ. He will intend to change times, Daniel says. <clears throat> then his third point of attack, he's going to persecute the saints, he's going to try to change times, and then he said he's going to change law. He's going to intend to change law. Now we presume with the Antichrist's hatred of God and anything that has to do with God, that he will also be attacking the very concept of what is right and wrong. Common, ordinary morality which exists in at least basic forms in every culture of the world, is, is what gives us order in this world. Murder and rape are considered immoral almost everywhere in the world. Love and justice are universal moral concepts. 
Everywhere in the world there exists basic common morality generally based on the revelation of God. Romans chapter 2 says that God has written His law in our hearts as evidenced by people having a conscience that makes us feel guilty when we violate God's law. So the Antichrist is apparently going to do everything in his power to change that. And you know the devil's already been preparing the way for the Antichrist to do that for several generations now. If we are the product of biological evolution, then we are nothing more than highly developed animals with no eternal soul. So if that's true, why shouldn't we live like animals in our relationships? If biological evolution is true, then human life is no different than a cow or a coyote. It, it has no more value than a whale or an eagle. Killing babies in the womb then is justified. Killing the elderly so they don't strain available medical resources becomes rational. Eliminating people who know Jesus Christ as their Savior will become necessary so they don't pollute the minds of, of the young with lies about Jesus. And of course, we're just saving the planet by doing all these things. You see, the Antichrist will intend to change law, the very concept of right and wrong. So the Antichrist will be attacking everything that reminds the world of God. He'll be attacking the Lord's followers. He'll be attacking the Lord's imprint on the world's calendar. He'll be attacking the Lord's basic morality that is written into man's conscience. And there is also in that verse 25, there is good news and bad news. The bad news is he will have total authoritarian control of the world for three and a half years. The good news is he will have total authoritarian control of the world for only three and a half years. Then he will burn in hell for all of eternity. Verse 26 says, The court shall be seated, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it forever. The Antichrist will burn in hell for all of eternity. And praise God, you and I know the end of the story. Jesus Christ wins. The saints of the Most High, we who know Jesus Christ as our Savior, as well as the redeemed of all the ages, will dwell with our Lord forever and ever in His glorious kingdom. So while the Antichrist is going to rise up out of the one world government structure, he's going to be a political genius and an intellectual genius, He's going to be a religious genius. He is, he is going to be have this incredible public speaking ability. And once he gains power at the midpoint of the tribulation, he'll have those last three and a half years to, to totally uh, to try to destroy everything about God that exists in this world. But then his time will be up. And the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return. He's going to destroy his armies. <clears throat> He's going to cast the Antichrist and his false prophet into the lake of fire forever. And you know, we have scarcely mentioned the last verse in Daniel 7. I think we read it our very first week. It seems so matter-of-fact as Daniel finishes this great grand thought. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. All dominions shall serve and obey him. Then he just says, this is the end of the account. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly troubled me and my countenance changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. I said, it just, it just seems so matter-of-fact, so anticlimactic. This is the end of the account. 
I kept all this in my heart. The end. But don't miss Daniel's response. My thoughts troubled me, and my countenance changed. What Daniel saw changed him. It changed his thoughts. It changed his outlook. It changed his meditations. It even affected his appearance. What Daniel saw changed him. And when we begin to understand the coming kingdom of Jesus Christ and the catastrophic, cataclysmic events that precede it, will it change us? It should. By God's grace, as we understand what's coming in the end times, may it change our our priorities and our values and our motivations. May it it increase our, our commitment level to the Lord Jesus Christ. And may we say, as the Apostle John ended the book of Revelation, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we know as we look at these events of the end times, as we see what is revealed about what the Antichrist will be like, as we remember the words of the apostles in the New Testament, as John said, you've heard that the Antichrist is coming. We know that he is. We see here from the book of Daniel that there will be global government. And they're going to divide the world into, into ten different regions, all ruled under one global government. And out of this, the Antichrist will arise. And oh, how ruthless and wicked and diabolical and evil he will be. And Lord, I pray that as we move toward those days, no one knows the timing exactly, but we certainly see these things unfolding. I pray, Lord, that as we come to understand what's taking place, that it will change us as it changed Daniel to see it 2,500 years ago. That it will change our values and our priorities and our motivations. And that we will be stirred into greater commitment to the cause of Christ. And we'll be stirred to more fervent prayer and witnessing for our unsaved loved ones. And that we will purify our own lives and stand strongly for the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, may these things change us as they change Daniel. And Lord, as we see these things coming to pass, we do cry out with the Apostle John, Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Help us to be more dedicated to you because of what we know is coming. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.